Hello, and welcome to episode 82 of The Modern Manager. I'm your host, Mamie Canfor-Stewart. A warm welcome to Michelle M., Simon F., Krista M., and Martin L. to The Modern Manager community. I hope that you've taken a moment to stick around inside the membership portal and find all of the great content and special offers that are there, including the 10% off my new course on delegation called Make More Time, Everything a Manager Needs to Know to Delegate Successfully. It is on sale now until January 10th and the early repricing ends December 31st. But if you register before December 20th, you get a special bonus guide, How to Avoid Five Common Mistakes When Delegating. Now, as a manager, you probably know that delegating effectively and holding people accountable is one of the most important skills that any manager can develop. It feels so good to delegate and know that the work is going to be done successfully. And then it feels so terrible when you try delegating and things just fall apart and you end up stepping in in ways that don't feel good for you or for the other person. So stop letting that happen and learn how to delegate effectively every time, no matter what your role or your level within the organization or what type of team you lead. You can learn more at mamieks.com slash delegation. Now today's guest is Jeff Guthelf. Jeff helps organizations build better products and he helps executives build cultures that enable them to build better products. He is the co-author of the award-winning book Lean UX and the Harvard Business Review press book Sense and Response. Jeff works as a coach, consultant, and keynote speaker, helping companies bridge the gaps between business agility, digital transformation, product management, and human-centered design. Most recently, Jeff co-founded Sense and Response Press, a publishing house for practical business books for busy executives. Jeff and I talk about how every team can benefit from managing themselves as if they were a technology team. Even if you're a service business or an HR team inside of a manufacturing company or a small business retailer. He explains how to be in continuous conversation with your customers, no matter how you define that, so you can always be learning and improving. And we talk about how to shift the mindset and measurements of success from outputs to outcomes and why this is so critical for long-term success. Now here's the conversation. You're listening to The Modern Manager, a podcast dedicated to helping you be a rock star boss with a thriving team. Whether you're looking to upgrade your meetings, cultivate your team, or grow as a leader, this podcast is for you. Now, here's your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. Jeff, it is such a pleasure to have you today, especially because you're sitting in sunny Barcelona, and I'm super jealous because I'm sitting in freezing cold Brooklyn. (laughs) It's great to be here, Mamie. Thanks so much for having me. And it, It is sunny. It's usually sunny here, but it's not that warm today. So, I mean, by our standards, it's it's pretty chilly, but certainly not by freezing standards. Well, you get to be in the beautiful everything of Barcelona with the beach and the culture and the museums. And it's just like, I love that city. And I know Brooklyn and New York have wonderful things too, but Barcelona is really special. So thank you for, for joining me all the way from Barcelona today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. So we are going to talk about how Everyone should be thinking of themselves and their teams like technology companies, which is an interesting idea because most people are not building technology. So why would we all want to think of ourselves as technology teams? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting change because, look, the most successful companies in the world right now, they've, they've surpassed all the, the oil companies and the traditional manufacturing companies, are the big tech players, right? The Facebooks, the Apples, the Amazons, the Googles, the Netflixes of the world. And the question is, why are they so successful? 
And they are successful because not only are they providing services in a new and modern way, but they are using the technology that they are essentially inventing in many ways to continuously improve how they deliver value to their customers. I'm a technologist, and when I started my career 20 years ago, I worked at America Online at AOL in Virginia. And back then, technology came in a box. You went to the store and you bought a box of software and you really treated that software, that technology, like anything else that you would buy, whether you bought a printer or a chair or uh, anything else. It was something that you, you would buy and then you would, you would own that thing in a static way until it stopped being useful. That model has fundamentally changed in the last decade. The Google, Facebook, and Amazon, and, and Netflix, and all these companies, they don't sell you software in a box anymore. They've created this continuous world of technology where they are always improving what they're providing their customers. There is this ridiculous statistic that I've been using for years, so it's probably even more ridiculous today than when I, when I learned it. But the statistic is that Amazon changes the code that runs Amazon every 11.6 seconds. What? That's, yeah, yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. Five times a minute, Amazon updates how Amazon works. And that is, it's a ridiculous statistic on every level. But the power of that is that with each one of those changes, they're learning, they're building, what they've done and what these tech companies have done is they have built a continuous conversation with their customers and with their users. So instead of you going to the store and buying a box of software and then coming back to buy the next box in a year or two years or however long it takes you to do that, you are now consuming new software on a daily basis, multiple times a day. And the way that you interact with that software teaches the tech companies whether they've made something better or whether they've made it worse. And then based on that learning, they update and they improve. And that, that is their power. That's their secret sauce. Now, we don't need the infrastructure and the technical expertise per se to take advantage of that. There's a mindset shift here that companies can take and that managers and business unit leaders can take away from this to change how they work and how they think about what they produce for their customers and for their users. And it's all about building that continuous conversation. So this makes a lot of sense from the perspective of you can have lots of kind of fast, small tweaks, experiments, but what does that look like if you're running an HR department or you're a team that's doing, you know, some other kind of internal stakeholder work, right? Where you're not interacting with, you know, customers and there's maybe not as many obviously measurable ways to, to gauge their reaction to your work. Yeah. So, so this is, and I, I do a lot of work with, with non-tech teams and have this exact conversation. The, the thing to remember, and this is, this is a point that is, if it's not explicitly called out of that continuous conversation discussion, it sometimes gets lost. If you think about any project you've ever worked on, many times the measure of success for that project was shipping the project, right? F finishing it. 
it's done. We did it. We completed the, the HR system. We, we've launched the new department. We've completed the event. We got the budget approved, whatever it is. Now, if you put that into the context of that statistic that I told you to, about Amazon, where they ship, they change the system five times a minute, then the deployment of that change is a non-event. We don't, we don't even have enough time to celebrate it because the other one's 12 seconds behind it. And so the measure of success for our work fundamentally changes. It changes from, did we make a thing to, did we positively impact the behavior of the people who consume that thing? It's the difference between output and outcome. Output is making the thing, and outcome is changing the behavior of the people who consume the thing that you make. And so in a B2C space, it's easy to say, well, we make an e-commerce site, and as long as people come to the site and buy, we're doing great. But, but your question is spot on. What about HR or legal, or finance, right? How do we think about it in that context? Well, if you're an HR person, let's assume you're an HR person and you work on the talent acquisition, retention side of things. One of the things that you may be in charge of is vacation policy, right? That's your product. The thing that you make is vacation policy. Now, how do you know the vacation policy decisions that you're making are good, that they're the right ones, that they're the right ones for your staff, that they're going to attract the people who meet your hiring profiles, that you'll retain your current employees. How do you know? And, and this becomes increasingly riskier as your organization grows. I mean, if you're managing five people, right, the risk there is pretty low. But if you're managing 500 or 5,000 people and you change the vacation policy, you could see a, a spike in attrition. So how do you know? And that's, that's the key here, right, is to think about what is the behavior change that we want to see in our staff that tells us that the vacation policy that we, that we chose was the right one. I'll give you a very practical example because I, I get it's going to be a little vague uh, at times. Let's say that you're going to implement unlimited vacation. It's a pr pretty common tactic in a lot of American companies, right? We're going to give everybody unlimited vacation. I see this a lot these days. The belief is that people will take more vacation, will be better rested, they will be more productive while they're at work, and that we will attract better talent because they will be enticed by this unlimited vacation policy. That seems plausible, right? Yeah, and also dreamy for us. I'm thinking of all the people who don't have unlimited vacation right now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It sounds amazing, right? I get two weeks. What do you mean unlimited, right? Well, it turns out in the United States that when companies implement unlimited vacation, and unlimited means that you have to go ask your boss, but there's no limit to the amount of days off that you can take. Okay? When companies implement unlimited vacation, Americans take less vacation. What? Yes, because it's not, it's, it, the scarcity of the vacation days is gone. Right? When something is, is scarce and you're going to lose it at the end of the year, people are like, you're damn right, I'm going to take my two weeks. Like, I'm, going to, I'm going to take it and, and then, you know, because it doesn't roll over, I'm absolutely going to take it. But when it doesn't accrue and there's an infinite amount of it, there's no pressure to use it up. And so it turns out that Americans actually take less vacation with unlimited vacation policies. And so the HR department's goal of building a happier, healthier, more productive well, better rested staff, actually the opposite happens. You get more tired, more burned out staff that, that doesn't actually take enough vacation to refresh and restore and become better employees. 
And so the, the measure of success, and, that, and that's, that's the inspiration here, right? So the measure of success is not, did you deploy the vacation policy? It's, did you get the staff to be better rested, more productive, more efficient, right? And that's the fundamental difference in thinking about outcomes, the changes in behavior to outputs, the thing that we actually make in the world. And that's what the tech companies get right. You know, this is really interesting as I'm thinking about some of the teams that I work with and kind of the focus on delivering all of the tasks and the projects on time and kind of that being the end result and not taking that bigger, longer term kind of why are we doing this? And then three months later after we've kind of shipped or, you know, hit the goal, did it actually accomplish the intended outcome in the long run, that, in, that intention for whatever change it was supposed to make? And that in of itself feels like a hard mind shift to make, right? Even if you start to get people to think, okay, we want to work in ways that are more iterative or, you know, we want to be agile and put all these great things from the tech space, getting internal teams to think it's not just about delivering the tasks on time, but we're actually responsible for some behavior change. That feels like a big shift. It is, and it causes it causes a lot of management headaches. And I'll, I'll tell you the biggest one. And this is this is why this is such a difficult concept for a lot of organizations to change to. When you manage to output, when you manage to you know getting the project out on time with all the tasks done and preferably on budget, right? When you do that, the measure of success is binary. Right? You either did it or you didn't do it. Right? We hit the deadline or we did not hit the deadline. And so when something's binary, it's easy to measure. And if it's easy to measure, it's easy to manage and to reward and to incentivize. So if I say the measure of success for you is to deploy the new vacation policy. Okay, we did it. And get it done by the first of the year. Okay, we did it by the first of the year. Congratulations. You get your bonus. You get to work here for another year. Right? Easy. If I say, look, your job is to actually increase the amount of vacation time on average that every employee takes on an annual basis by 20% and to increase their productivity, however, however we measure productivity, by 10%. Okay? And then and we say, look, and you've got to get that done by mid-year next year. Mid-year next year rolls around and you say, look, I've gotten people to take 12% more vacation and we've increased productivity by 4%. But your goals were 20 and 10%, right? So what, what do I do with that as a, as a manager? Do I fire you? Do I reward you? It, it's, a, it's a much more difficult goal to manage to because the measurement is a spectrum. It's not a binary thing. You did it or you didn't do it. And that becomes a fundamentally different thing to do. There's another big challenge here as well for managers to consider as you take inspiration from these tech companies and start to manage towards behavior change, towards outcomes. And it is this, and this, this is, I think, even tougher than the measurement of success. If I say to you, I say, your job, you're, you're the head of HR. Your job is to deploy unlimited vacation policy by the first of the year. Okay, I've told you exactly what to do and when to do it. And so you know exactly what you need to do and when to do it and when to get it done by. So, so there's very, very little doubt about what you're doing. Now, if I say, I need you to get people to take more vacation, 20% more vacation by mid-year next year. And that's it. That's all. As, as your manager, as the chief HR officer, that's what I've told you to do. You now have to go figure out how to make that happen. And so what we're doing is we're taking that prescriptive aspect of leadership, that 
managers have grown accustomed to over the last 100 years. And we're actually taking that away from them. And we're pushing that decision-making down to the people closest to the work, the people who, who work on these projects on a day-to-day basis. And that is very, very difficult for managers to let go of because, hey, I'm the boss. I tell people what to do, and that's what I've been told to do. And now you're telling me not to tell people what to do? Right? And that's a very, very difficult conversation for, for managers and leaders to have. Yeah, I have a course on delegation, and that's exactly one of the things we talk about is the difference between delegating a task and an outcome because they require different kinds of clarity, they require different kinds of support, and a different kind of accountability management, right? As you said, it's so easy to give someone the specifics and have that clear, they did it or they didn't. And it's so much harder to give someone an outcome and then give them the freedom in the room to figure it out, but also support them when they're in that process of figuring it out, because sometimes that means they have to try a bunch of things. Sometimes that means that you also don't know the answer. And so you're kind Mm -hmm. of on that learning journey with them. Yes, it's spot on, right? And so, so if, if you can do that, if you can model that behavior as a, as a manager to say, look, I also don't know the answer. That's massive. As one of the, the most valuable managerial traits that you can convey is that humility to your team. You will encourage and inspire creativity, innovation, experimentation, and learning and agility in your team more than any tactic or process or diagram could ever inspire. Right? If you can say to the team, look, we're going to figure this out together, and I realize that as a team, we're going to get this wrong once, twice, three times. But as long as we're learning and improving our way towards that behavior change in our target audience, in our, in our user base, our customers, whoever it is, then we're making progress. That's massive. And sadly, sadly, I work with a lot of large companies. Uh, sadly, the higher up in an organization that you go, there's an inverse ratio of how much humility you'll find. So the further up the ladder you go, the less humility you find as you go up. Yeah, it's a sad truth. So if I want to now you know, go to my team tomorrow and say, all right, guys, I listened to this great podcast called The Bottom Manager, and I learned about how we should all be like tech teams. First of all, do you even kind of introduce this as a way of working, or are there more subtle things that you might start to do to shift the thinking, the behavior, you know, kind of how would you approach this if you were going to work with a new team? So I do this every week. And so I've got, I've got a good idea of how to do this. Now, it depends on the organization. What I try to do is generally speaking, I try to steer away from the buzzwords because the buzzwords and the buzzwords I'm talking about these days are agile, uh, digital transformation, design thinking, this kind of thing. And simply because while I believe in those, I believe in those concepts, sometimes they carry a lot of baggage. In, in organizations. And so I, I don't even start there. And I, I start to say, I, the first thing that I do when I, when I join a team or work with a team is to say, look, what is the problem that we're trying to solve? Forget the solution we're trying to, to, to implement or build. What is the problem that we are trying to solve? And if we solve it, how will we know? And the answer to how will we know is not, well, we built the thing and we gave it to our users. Uh, the answer is, people will be behaving differently. So the question is, what's the problem that we're trying to solve? And if we solve it, what will people be doing differently? And, and that's, that's how I start every engagement. And most of the teams that I've worked with in the last few years don't think of their work that way because they think of it as very prescriptive. We have to build this system or ship this policy or whatever it is. 
that's how I start the conversation. I love that. And I'm going to start using that with the teams that I work with too, because we are often talking about why do you exist as a team, but not necessarily kind of what does success look like for your stakeholders or your customers? So it's an important nuance to tease out. Absolutely. Look, I mean, at at the end of the day, we are trying to, to provide value to people either inside our organization or outside our organization. And if we can understand what that looks like when they actually get that value, right? People talk about, well, we know what customers want, we'll just give it to them, right? But that's not necessarily true. And, and the, the change today, again, if you're paying attention to how quickly change is happening, the way that Amazon works today is not the way it worked a year ago or five years ago and certainly not 10 years ago. So that those expectations, those consumer expectations are changing so quickly. If we can get a sense of how well we're meeting those expectations on an ongoing basis, then we can always adjust what we're doing to meet those changing needs. And that, that is agility. If we're going to talk about buzzwords for half a second, right? That is agility. It's, it's understanding how what we're doing is changing the behavior of the people that we serve and then changing what we do to better meet those expectations. Well, and I imagine that for an internally focused team, there might be reasons or opportunities to talk to your stakeholders about why you're doing the work that you're doing the way that you're doing it, right? So for, you know, kind of staying on this vacation policy time, as an example, to say, we want you to be well-rested employees. And so mm-hmm. we are going to develop a variety of ways to, to help create opportunities for you to be able to be well-rested, one of which is a vacation policy. And we are going to roll it out and we're going to experiment. And here's why we think that this might work. And I would imagine that that might help get people to actually take advantage of the policy more realistically, but also give you more power to hear and connect with your employees to understand why isn't it working, right? Not just, oh, people aren't doing it or they are, and we have to guess at it, but actually to be in conversation with them about the bigger picture. There's nothing more powerful than talking to the people who use the thing that you make. It is humbling. It is educational. And it will improve the thing that you make more than any other activity. But you have to be willing to do it. (laughs) And you have to be willing to accept the fact that you're going to be wrong (laughs) about your ideas. That no matter how brilliant you think your idea is, no matter how beautiful the idea is, once your users or your customers give you some feedback, inevitably, they're going to shatter that image in your mind a little bit. But it is by far the the most impactful and powerful thing that you can do, even in small quantities, right? Because it's qualitative feedback. You're not looking for statistical significance, right? So for example, again, we'll just stick with this HR and, and you know, getting, getting our staff to be more well-rested, right? Unlimited vacation could be one approach. What about nap rooms, right? Maybe we want to build nap rooms in the office, right? And let's say we've got 10 different locations where we might build nap rooms. Well, before we go and build, you know, five nap rooms in 10 different locations, that's 50 rooms why don't we take one kind of unused conference room in one of the spaces, transform it, quote unquote, into a a nap room and just see if people use it. And if they use it, ask them why they use it. And if they don't use it, ask them why they didn't use it. And then that'll help you make a better decision whether this is something that's worth rolling out to every office and how many and who will use it and whether it actually helps you meet the goal. All right. This is so insightful. And I love taking this idea of how do you work kind of 
as a tech team kind of looking at some of the best practices and turning it into teams that I think often don't get a lot of attention and don't think of themselves as serving customers and being experimental and outcome driven. So I really like this mental shift that we've we've gone down this path today, but we are running out of time. So as you know, this is the modern manager. So can you tell us about a rock star manager that you had the privilege and pleasure of working with and what made that person so fantastic? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, for me, at least when this person was my manager, you know, I had mixed feelings about them because <laughs> they were my boss, you know? And so it was kind of like, well, some, some days I really, I really liked him. Other days I was like, ah, <laughs> I don't want to work for you anymore. But in hindsight, I really do appreciate the time I spent working. It's about a decade ago. I worked at a tech company in New York City and I was working in the digital product department and this was the, the head of product. And the thing that I really liked about him, there's a couple of things that I liked, but one of the things that I really liked about him is that he never let any kind of conflict, interpersonal conflict, fester. You know, if there was people on the team who didn't get along, if there was somebody from another department who didn't get along with somebody from our department, he would always do this thing where he would almost like a, like a parent grab us by the ears, you know, and drag us into a conference room. And he would do what he would call uh, creating a moment, which is basically just forcing the issue. Like, okay, you guys are not getting along. You're not being productive. You're holding everybody up. Let's talk about what the challenges are. Let's talk about the, the why we're not seeing eye to eye and how we're moving forward from this. And I really appreciated that because I'd worked in so many companies before that and, and since then where these issues would fester forever and nobody, nobody would talk about them and they'd just be like, oh, I hate Jeff. I don't want to talk to Jeff, you know, that kind of thing. And nobody ever said that about me, of course, but you know, <laughs> but, but nevertheless, you know, and, and what I loved about this is that he never let that fester because he recognized that immediately as something that would start to really undo any kind of good productive work that the teams were doing and he would force the issue. And I, to this day, I appreciate that. And I use that technique probably on a weekly basis. Oh, it's such a, like a really good practice for all managers. All right. And lastly, where can people learn more about you, Jeff, and the work that you do? So the easiest place to find me is on my website. My website is gothealth.co. So it's my last name, G-O-T-H-E-L-F dot C-O. And that'll get you to my blogs, uh, my events, what I do, how to get in touch with me. That's, that's really the easiest place to find me. And then, of course, link, LinkedIn as well, obviously. I mean, LinkedIn, I'm always there. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for sharing your wise words of wisdom today. This has been a real pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Jeff has generously offered a free digital copy of his latest book, Lean versus Agile versus Design Thinking, to members of the Modern Manager community. This short tactical book reconciles the perceived differences in lean startup, design thinking, and agile software development by focusing not on rituals and practices, but on the values that underpin all three methods. I have read this and it is relevant for any type of team or organization who wants to apply the values of those methods to how they design their teamwork. To become a member and get this free book, go to mamieks.com slash join. That's M-A-M-I-E-K-S dot com slash join. And when you join, you get 10% off the course, Make More Time, including 10% off of the early word pricing, which ends December 31st. Plus, if you work for a government or nonprofit agency, shoot me an email and you get an additional 10% off of any membership level. As always, the links are in the show notes and they can be delivered to your inbox when you subscribe to my newsletter at mamieks.com slash podcast. Thanks again for listening.
Until next time. Meetings are one of the most critical components of healthy collaboration, and teams are at the heart of how we work. Meteor helps you use your time in meetings productively, build healthy relationships with your colleagues, and move work forward. To learn how we do it, visit meteor.com. That's M-E-E-T-E-O-R.com. You've been listening to The Modern Manager. You're already becoming a rock star boss of a thriving team, I can tell. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player and join the mailing list at mamieks.com slash podcast. That's M-A-M-I-E-K-S dot com slash podcast to get show notes and other special content delivered directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.